This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 303. Hello, everybody. This is going to be a little bit weird. We're not at home. We're sitting on the floor in someone else's bedroom. But we knew that it was important to bring a show to you. And so that's what we're here for. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew. And I am joined by my lovely and amazing wife, Anitra. That's me. This week on the show, we are very excited. It is another episode of Beyond Board Gaming. We are getting together with Joe and Kalen. They are boondocker RVers. I guess that's the right term, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get into that second half of the show. First half of the show, as always, we're going to start ourselves off with a fact. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I did not put this fact in the show notes because I wanted an opportunity to come alongside all of y'all. And talk about my lovely and wonderful wife. Okay. Back in the day, before I knew her, Mrs. Anitra <laughs> was a scout. I was. I was technically a Boy Scout, part of the Explorers Program. Or Venturing Program, they yes. call it now. But of course, this is not a scout fact. This is a 303 fact. So what is the fact? Well, it turns out that Anitra was a Sea Scout on the SSS, or Sea Scout Ship, Lotus, the SSS 303 Lotus. Yeah, so Sea Scout ship in this context means two things. It both means the boat that we rode around on, the Lotus, but it's also like the equivalent of a Boy Scout troop. Yep. So we were Sea Scout ship 303. All right. So the Sea Scout ship 303 is a historic gaff rigged schooner. Basically, it looks like an old boat. It's not really a tall ship in the sense that it's a giant ship, but it had two masts and it's a sailboat. Yes. So the keel of the Lotus was laid down in 1917, and it had mm-hmm. a long history. It went back and forth, and it was sold and purchased and, and all of these things. Uh, it got a full refit in 1993. Yep. And from 1993 until 2007, the Lotus was sailed by members of Sea Scout Ship 303 all around Lake Ontario. And prior to 1993 as well, from the sometime in the 70s. Unfortunately... Over time, the Lotus has kind of fallen into a state of disrepair. This Sea Scout troop has kind of dwindled. And the Seneca Waterways Council, who kind of was yes. in charge of the ship, has actually sold it to a group called the Friends of the Schooner Lotus. Friends of the Schooner Lotus, uh, which started as a Facebook group. Yes. Uh, a lot so of us previous scouts. Yep. And if you go ahead and look, uh, you can find opportunities to actually give to the Friends of the Schooner Lotus group. And help fund the restoration of this beautiful ship. It's really pretty. It really is. We'll, we'll get a picture of that into the show notes. It's a beautiful ship that Anitra just sell on. SSS 303 Lotus. Lotus. It is a historic boat for a number of reasons. And one of them is that it is part of the very first class ever of uh, what would now be called motor sailors. Which is a pleasure yacht that has both sails and an engine. This was a brand new concept in 1917 when it was built. And so it is on the National Register of Historic Places for exactly that reason. Yeah, so if you were ever in scouts or anything like that, sometimes you did kind of like, I don't know, you sold popcorn or you sold cookies if you were a girl scout. We sold popcorn. Yeah, but also you did cool things like harbor cruises and stuff like that. We did, money, yeah. Which is really, really neat. That's just really cool. So anyway, that's my fact for the episode 303. I didn't know you were going to do that. Thanks, honey. <laughs> But you have a fact from our friends over at First Move Financial. Well, we're going to be talking to full-time RVers in the second half of the show. They're not retired, but RVing is a really popular retirement hobby. So how do you know if you're ready to retire? There's the financial aspect, but don't forget about the emotional and physical as well. What would you do with your time if you were retired? How many rounds of golf can you really play in a week? How are you going to stay physically fit? One way to see if you're ready for retirement and start to answer these and other questions is to take a little practice retirement. Use your vacation to stay at home. You're not doing anything special, just not working for a little while, which is definitely different than the work from home that most people have been doing lately. 
See if you can find a rhythm that you like in your day, but also realize that you still need something to do. Whether that's picking up a new hobby or volunteering your time, because it's really hard to just sit still. Make sure your vacation is long enough you have time to get bored with just sitting around. Be ready, though. Retirement often tests even the best marriages as couples spend way more free time together, which means there's more friction, which you may have experienced already if you've both been working from home. (laughs) If you want help reviewing the financial part of preparing for retirement, set up a time to talk to First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. All right, Anita, so we have a nice long interview that I'm excited for. So why don't we take just a little bit of time to talk about a couple of games that we've been playing recently. Yeah, let's do that. So what we're going to do, we're going to start off with two games that are absolutely ridiculous, and then a game that was published by some friends of ours. Yeah. Okay. The first one, this is a game that we traded in a couple of games at our local FLGS and I was browsing the shells, as I usually do, because it takes time for them to process the stuff. And I found this game, and I took a picture of it, and I was like, honey... What do you think? This might have to happen. The game is called Dodos Riding Dinos. It is completely ridiculous. It is an absolutely ridiculous race game for, I think, up to six, six or eight players. players, maybe. It's done by Detestable Games. You're racing around a track... Primarily by playing cards from your hand for movement, but almost every card has some kind of special thing it does as well. And a bunch of them end up being dexterity-based. Like, you need to (laughs) drop a meteor, or flick an egg, or throw a bunch of bananas using just your wrist and not the rest of your arm at all. I mean, this is about as close as you can get to, like, Super Mario Kart, the board game. Uh, Yeah, it really is. Because it's got all that zaniness yes, to it's it. it's very silly. There is reading required here, and obviously with a dexterity component, if you have really little kids that are just not very dexterous, they don't have good fine motor control, they yeah. don't have problems, but this game is hilarious. There's tons of replayability in the box. If you want to use asymmetric player powers, all of the seven or eight or whatever, dinos and dodos, have asymmetric powers. There's yep. four boards in the box, and most of those boards have multiple tracks on them. Right, so, well, there's four tracks, and then each track has a short version for more players or a long version for fewer players. Right, well, I mean, yeah, but yeah. those are all different ways yes. to play the game. So there's tons of replayability in the box. It is, it's one of those boxes that you pick up and it's super, like, heavy, and then when you open it, you're like, okay, this is, like, heavy-duty cardboard. So, so like, they really went all out, you know? Yeah, the components are fantastic. A, a wonderful uh, presentation. But you do pay for that. The game was pretty pricey. Yeah. And honestly, if we didn't have all that store credit, we might not have bought it, but we had it, so we did. And I don't regret it. I mean, it's ridiculous and funny. I wouldn't recommend it for most people, just because the price point to gameplay doesn't quite seem to match. That's a hard one. But if you're the kind of uh, person who has access to an FLGS where you can trade in games and you slowly build up store credit over time, which is what we did, (laughs) then, you know, all of a sudden it's a a lower barrier of entry. I think they're going to have, like, an expansion or something coming to Kickstarter fairly soon. This is in no way sponsored by that (laughs) whole thing. Not at all. We just randomly saw this game on the shelf. But uh, then I saw an email about an expansion or something, so I will say, I think this is a good fit for a group of teenagers or young adults or, you know, old fogies like us who (laughs) really enjoy the goofy racing games like Mario Kart, but would like to have that without everybody staring at a screen. You know, something where you're sitting at a table and looking at each other rather than looking at the screen. Yep, absolutely. So that's Dodo's writing dinos from Detestable Games. That's a lot of Ds. It is. (laughs) All right, what do we got next? We have another silly game called Pavlov's Dogs. From ninth level games. So Pavlov's Dogs is a <laughs> it's a co- cooperative memory game, more or less. Sure, yeah, that's right. Every round of the game, there is a dog tour uh, who picks a different thing from the deck that is sort of a skill that gets added in that everybody needs to remember to do this thing. Now that skill could be that you're changing numbers on certain kind of cards. Or it could be something kind of silly, like, you need to say the name of every blue card before you play it. Or it can be something really silly, like, you need to bark every time there's a fetch card. (laughs) (laughs) 
But these skills are also cumulative. So for each additional round of the game, you have another skill you have to remember and do. The dog tour is supposed to be keeping track, telling you good dog if you played correctly, and bad, bad dog. dog if you played incorrectly. If you're a bad dog, you lose one of your little bone tokens. If any player loses all their bone tokens, the game is over and your team has lost. So it happens in rounds, like there's three rounds to the game or something like that? Three rounds in the easy version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of each round, you can reallocate your bone tokens. So if If one person is having a lot of trouble, you can give them a couple more maybe. And maybe it won't be quite so bad. You know what I mean? Uh, So... It's a really cute game. It's pretty fun. It moves super fast. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's a nice small box. We will be reviewing this in the next, I don't know, month or two. It accommodates a large number of players yes. as well, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It, it's a good game. Yeah. And that is Pavlov's Dogs from Ninth Century Games. One more game that we played this week that is new to us. We got a chance to play In the Hall of the Mountain King. I don't know what I was expecting. But this was not it. But I really I liked accurate. it. Yeah. I think that's 100% true. This is a polyomino placement game, and I did not expect that at all. You are trolls digging tunnels into the mountain, and you're trying to uncover resources, but you're also trying to uncover and then move these little, like, idols? Totems? Totems? Yeah. I don't know. Would you say you are trolling the king? No. Okay. Uh, well, I was trying. I mean, whatever. It's one of those where it definitely feels like there's a lot going on, but you can focus in just one area. You don't have to understand everything to have a good path. Yeah, so you won the game, but you were behind for a lot of the game and you had a lot of like endgame points because you get more points by moving your totems closer to the inner right. parts of the mountain. Meanwhile, I followed a completely different path where I went straight into the mountain and tried to push my totems in there, but mm-hmm. I didn't have as many totems as you did. So the two of us were way ahead in score, but we were close. Yeah. But everybody had different strategies. From very different strategies. My strategy, once I saw how hard it was for me to get in close to the heart of the mountain, I was like, forget this. I will do a bunch of stuff on like three levels away from the heart of the mountain out of the six total or so. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to grab these little idle totems from anywhere I can and get them into my tunnels anywhere. Mm. And that worked out okay for me. So I don't remember if this game had asymmetric player powers that we didn't use. I feel like it's the kind of game that would. But one of the things that I really like about this game is that there are three spells that are available Mm. at any given time. But the spells burn out. They can only be used three times. They're available to anyone. All you have to do is spend like a magic token or whatever it is, yeah. I don't know, to use one of those spells. And again, they can only be used three times. And then they go to the bottom of the deck and a new one comes out. There were enough of them that I don't think we ever saw the same spell. No, twice. we didn't. So those were a really neat way to kind of develop some emergent strategy when you see those next spells come out. And you're like, oh, I could use this for this thing. But I was really thinking I was going to go over here. Oh, oh, that's, oh, that, oh, that spell, that's going to help me. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that was something that I used a lot in the game because as you get closer to the middle of the board, there's more of these rubble icons Mm -hmm. and rubble icons require you to expend pickaxe tokens to move through them or to place polyomino tiles of your tunnel on on them but like there was this magic spell that came out that said you know you can place a polyomino tile on any number of rubble icons using only one pickaxe instead of one pickaxe for each rubble right and since i was already getting kind of close I kind of weaved my way mm-hmm. in, and then I was like, magic token, all of the rubble, and that really helped. Yeah. So I really liked In the Hall of the Mountain King. I will not be shy about playing it again when I have another opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is the game that you know we're going to run out and pick up. I don't regret playing it at all. I think there's a, like a sequel game coming or something like that. I, yeah, I recall seeing something, something else yeah. in this kind of series. So that'll definitely be something interesting to keep an eye on and, and take a look at the way those mechanics work out. But this is uh, Burn Island Games that released this. So they're kind of the, the sister company to Kids Table Board Games, yes. who we've talked about a lot. So that is in the Hall of the Mountain King. It's a fun polyomino placement game. It's definitely thinky. Like it's a very thinky game, yes. but it's straightforward. It's not like Twilight Struggle thinky or Teotihuacan thinky where you have to operate on multiple levels. Or Golem. Okay. <laughs> which <laughs> I Golem, got to try this week. Which you're trying. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. But uh, yeah. So that's In the Hall of the Mountain King. Just one more new to us that I really wanted to mention. We also played Hey, That's My Fish. Mm-hmm. This is a cute game. This was super cute. It felt to me a lot like Battle Sheep, except instead of laying tiles down, you know, to like 
claim area. Instead, as you're moving your little penguins around, you are picking up the tiles on the board and eventually you are left with these kind of little solitary ice flows. Yeah. It felt to me like a cross between Battleship and Rescue Polar Bears. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which is a game that we reviewed a while ago. Yeah. I mean, it's a very fun little easy game. If your kids understand Battleship, they will understand, hey, that's my fish. They even have a travel version. It's very small. It's very small. Yeah, it's it's nice. very portable. It's a little bit of a pain to get it set up because you're setting out all these little tiny hex tokens and then trying to make them into a board shape. Yeah. And you but- pretty consistently like try to remove one and stuff gets shifted. Yeah. It's fine. Whatever. But that's not a big deal when you're talking about a game that is this portable and also this quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, hey, that's my fish. Is that Fantasy Flight? Why am I thinking that's Fantasy Flight? Because it is Fantasy Flight. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, they've got a very distinctive <laughs> logo and you remembered yeah. it. Okay. All right. So I think we're going to keep this a little bit on the shorter end. We're going to get right into that interview. We're going to take a break first. We're going to listen to a snap preview for a very interesting game coming to Kickstarter later this year. And then we're going to get right into that interview with Joe and Kaylin. We'll be right back. Speculation is not just for stocks. That's true. Or Bitcoin. Still true. In the early 1990s, a frenzy of speculation almost destroyed the comic book industry. Speculators drove prices up so that comics that cost less than $2 brand new might sell for over $20. Until the bubble burst in 1993. Recreate these frenzied highs. And lows. In the comic book bubble, a brand new game from Ape Games. Scott Alms designed the comic book bubble. Up to five players ages 10 and up can play in about 45 minutes. And we're going to preview this game coming to Kickstarter this summer. The first thing I noticed was the central board. It's got this giant cyclical area showing how the genres wax and wane, plus a small price tracker and an area for the deck discard and speculation. I'm really looking forward to screen-printed tokens that are going to match up with the six genres. The player boards will be changing from the prototype that we got, but we do like the line art comic panels that get used for the backgrounds. Then there's the cards. The starter cards were roughly what I expected from a comic book game. Pow, wham, whatever, on a bright background. But as soon as I picked up my first full hand of cards, wow. Every single comic book represented on these cards is an actual comic from Red 5 Comics. This adds a ton of interest to the game and got us to compare titles and cover art just like we would if we were actually collecting and speculating on comics. Also, they look awesome. They do look awesome. (laughs) They do. But enough about the art, even though it's amazing, let's talk about the mechanics. How does the comic book bubble play? Okay, so every player starts with a hand of five cards plus two basic comics already in their active collection. Choose a card from your hand and secretly choose the action that you'll take with that card. Buy, superpower, or speculate. Once everyone is ready, you'll reveal your action simultaneously. Then you do them in order. Buying is exactly what it sounds like. Pay the cost for your chosen card, and then add it to your active collection. Using a superpower means that you'll discard your chosen card, but only after you've performed its special power. Anything from moving tokens around the value track to giving a temporary boost to selling for a specific genre. And then speculation, speculation, speculation. (laughs) If anyone chose this action for their card, they'll add their card to the common speculation area along with cards from other players or from the deck. Speculation changes the relative position of lots of genres. Sometimes by a little, sometimes by a lot. After speculation is complete, rearrange the small tokens on the price tracker to reflect the new prices. Now, anyone who did not choose to buy a comic this round may choose to sell a comic from their active library. If they do, they get money equal to the combined value of all the genres depicted on that comic card. Then they put that card in their back catalog where it will be used for endgame scoring. Pass your hand of cards to your neighbor and card selection begins again. When your hand of cards to pass is down to a single card... It's time for the next round, or year, where the high prices get higher and the lows get lower. At the end of the game, bonuses are awarded for having a majority of the high-value genre icons in your back catalog, and penalties for having a majority of the lowest-value genres. 
Ugh. It can hurt a lot. Yeah. So, Anitra, what did we expect from this game, the comic book bubble? Well, it's got bright, colorful packaging and a fun theme, but I wondered how the game would handle investing and speculating. There are lots of other economic games out there, and they can get complex really, really quickly. Can a game about investing buy low, sell high? Can it stay family friendly? Yeah, I mean, that was really ultimately what we were concerned about. And of course, with speculation, there's always a little dash of random kind of thrown in there. Mm -hmm. So for, especially for our friends who really like deep strategy games, how is that going to work out for them? So what surprised us about this game? Well, <laughs> the cycle for relative valuation of the genres actually feels pretty natural to me. And it really didn't take long for me to kind of get into the swing of the game, buy superpower or speculate. And maybe so. Maybe. I was very surprised that even though the valuations can go negative in the later rounds, there's always a minimum floor price for all comics. This is great. It keeps players from either trying to game the system, like, I buy this for negative $5, so the bank pays me. <laughs> but it also takes the edge off when you're left holding a comic whose value has dropped to less than nothing. It also helps keep... Uh, players from really running away with it. Some of the friends we played with did not expect this game to be nearly as swingy as it is. The valuations change really rapidly, even if you weren't trying to change them. I kind of enjoy it, and I also think it's a good way to show my kids the dangers of betting and speculation. You could lose a ton of money really quickly. <laughs> I did try the solo mode as well. It's very promising, and it feels just like the regular game. You have to be very tuned in to the relative valuations and how quickly they can change, and try to control it a little bit more, but with a lot of randomness still thrown in. So, Anitra, do we recommend the comic book bubble? I think you should try the comic book bubble if you love comic books, or if you want to recreate those crazy days of the 80s and 90s when collectors could make a fortune, but only if the publishers didn't make one first. Also, to validate my teenage years. Uh, sure, that too. <laughs> if you're the type of person who hates wild swings in your games or gets really bummed out by bad luck, this might not be the game for you. I think this could be great for a way to talk to kids about investing and why speculation and day trading can be so dangerous. We also love games that make a safe space to practice tough skills from real life, so that's another great thing here. If any of this sounds great to you, you should check out the comic book bubble on Kickstarter this summer. And that's the comic book bubble in, in a snap. snap. We are here with Joe and Kalen of Open Roading. Hey guys, how are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're doing good. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. All right. So this is, like we said, first half of the show, this is Beyond Board Games Open Roading Edition. So, uh... Joe and I have known each other for a long time. I feel like it's been years through Spencer Williams, formerly of, I don't even remember what his podcast was called, but now he does fan theory queries. Anyway, that part's not important. I've known Joe for a while. We both love board games. Caitlin doesn't like board games quite as much, but they're on this amazing adventure. And I would like uh, you two to tell us what open roading is. Why don't you start? Okay. So open roading is kind of chronicles our adventures of full-time RV life, which we made the leap, sold our house in Florida three years ago now, and been traveling all over this country. I don't think besides Hawaii and Alaska, there's a state we haven't been to yet. Yeah, no, we've <laughs> hit them all, all the lower 48. It's been crazy. Uh, it took me quite a while to get on board with this idea of selling the house and, and doing this whole thing. But uh, we... Like Kaylin said, we we took the leap, and it's been great. Yeah, usually I'm the practical one, and he's like, wait, what? You want to sell our house and buy an RV and not, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. So I think if I remember correctly, when this whole thing got started, Joe said something about, I think we're going to do this for like two years, uh, and now yeah, you're on three, so... Yeah. So I'm guessing it's, it's working. Yeah, it is. The initial the initial thought was when we because 
when we're making such a big change, we're like, okay, we don't want to flake out in six months, you know? So we made a commitment to each other when we're doing this, we're absolutely going to do it for at least one year, you know? And if we hate it six months in, we're going to bite the bullet and still be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And we've obviously had some ups and downs Mm -hmm. on the way. We've had times when we've been traveling too quick and getting burnout and things like that. But Obviously, we are well beyond one year now. We're on going on year four. And um, uh, I don't see an end in sight yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We have people, we've had people ask us, haven't you seen everything? And it's like, no, no, not even close. I almost feel like as you kind of get into this cycle of figuring out the way to find the things to go see, like the well just gets continually deeper and there's just more and more and more and more stuff that you that you mm-hmm. want to go check out. For and, sure. And that's thanks to Instagram too, because we're, we follow so many <laughs> different travel related accounts. We're like, where was this taken? All right, added to the bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) It's a deep bucket. But uh, so, I mean, other than just kind of like the romanticism of traveling the country, where did you get the idea to actually do this? Well, Kaylin first started, I don't know if this was their first spot she saw it or not, but it's how she sucked me in. So there was a YouTube channel and it's still out there called Less Junk, More Journey, Nathan and Marissa Moss. And they do that, you know, they have a, a small family and they travel country. And when Caleb first talked about the idea to me, I was like, no, only like hippies do that. You know, that's not something <laughs> I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be. And and so I don't know if it was intentional. I don't remember how it came up, but we ended up starting watching this I YouTube channel. I made you channel. watch them. Okay, she made me. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just, He's you know, trying to be nice. <laughs> It's a it's a normal family, you know, and they travel. And in their case, they had a young daughter at the time and they were planning on homeschooling her and or I guess they call it road schooling. And so just seeing a (laughs) quote unquote normal family traveling Mm -hmm. the country is kind of what got me on board. I don't know what got you on board. Now, I've just always had a love of travel. Like growing up, my parents made sure to intentionally plan multiple multiple vacations a year. And if it wasn't a full week, then we were gone weekends. So I just, I wanted to free myself from that nine to five. I've always wanted to start my own business. And I thought if I can get to the place where I have no strings basically attached to a community then we could just, you know, hit the road and just travel full time. And so Joseph at that point was uh, working with me on the business as well. And so we both did not have a job tying us to any location. Wow. How long did it take to plan how you were going to make this work? Like, I, it, this is not the thing where you're like, okay, let's do it. Sell the house, yeah. buy a camper, <laughs> buy a truck that's big enough to pull the camper. Like, let's go. Yeah, I think it was about two years when we started talking yeah. about it. And then it took like kind of one full year for us to decide to put our house on the market. And then that took, I think, about six months to actually sell the house. Yeah, we had, without going too deep in the weeds, we had a lot of things attaching us, preventing us. So we had a house in in Florida that we lived in and we had a house in New York and the house in New York, we had to sell first uh, in order to be able to get the ball rolling. And that mark, that housing market at the time wasn't that great. And so it took yeah, so a while. I don't think we had like two houses that we made yes, a whole bunch no. of money on. We <laughs> actually lost money. So. <laughs> My first house was a bear, but it, when it finally sold, that was kind of what got the ball rolling. And it's kind mm-hmm. of cool because we had a, a kind of a checklist of what we wanted in an RV And there were things that we didn't know that we wanted that God just kind of worked out that this RV had. But we had a list of things that we wanted. And Kaylin's mom actually said, hey, I work with this woman. They're selling their RV. So when you come up, you need to take a look at it because they'll give you a good price on it. And we were both kind of like trying to dampen mom's expectations mm-hmm. a little bit like, like we have a checklist I you know, know. <laughs> we, we, we need it yeah yeah we needed to have a fireplace i don't even remember what some of the other expectations yeah, like a king were size bed. Yep, like- king size bed <laughs> and uh so we got there and we checked out the rv and we walked through it and kale and i were both like looking at each other like 
this is exactly mm-hmm. what we were wanting. And it had, like I said, it has things that we didn't know that we wanted at the time as well. That and we're so, grateful mm-hmm. for now. Like we do a lot of dry camping or it's called boondocking. So where we're not staying in campgrounds, we're staying on national forest land, BLM land um, for free. And so it has a really like massive freshwater tank for us to be able to wash dishes and take showers. And a lot of RVs do not come with... Yeah, we had Large no idea. tanks, so that worked out perfectly. <laughs> We've met a bunch of people, and they're like, yeah, we have a 20-gallon freshwater tank. And we're like, we have an 80-gallon freshwater tank. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. How? So there had to be, like, certain things that, especially Joe, especially you, like, they were kind of the, the trappings of having a house and, and having the things, you know, you buy a house. To quote George Carlin, you buy a house to put your crap in it. Like, what what were the hardest things for you to, like, move on from and accept, like, I can't, I just can't have, like, a workout room anymore or whatever it is? What, what were those things? Sure. For me, it is the community element. And it's something that I've still struggled a little bit with as we have traveled. Kaylin said you, you don't have the strings to the community. And she was meaning that with, like, job and things like that. But you also have friendships mm-hmm. and things along those lines. Mm. And I've discovered that us guys are not as good at maintaining long-distance uh, friendships as our wives generally are. Um, you never call me like, anymore, Joe. I know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, my wife has like a biweekly call with with a group of friends that, you know, they get on Skype and they they chat every week. And and it's that she's maintained that connection really well. When we first started this, I had visions of, oh, you know, I'm going to go to I'm going to find game nights in every city that I'm in. And I went to a couple the first year. But it's tough when you're the new guy every place you go. Mm. <laughs> yeah. and, then the pan- yeah. and then the pandemic hit. And so that kind of put the kibosh on mm-hmm. on that as well. I think for me, it's ha- I had my own office space, like an t- entire room for my office. And if I just needed to write or record a video or do something that required deep focus, I could just shut the door. You cannot do that <laughs> in an RV. <laughs> so sometimes it's like, um, can you just like, please be quiet? Or maybe you can go find a coffee please shop. Please go away. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 100%. So you just touched on something. So obviously you've been doing this for three years. There has been a, a well, I, I, the modifier is dependent on, I suppose, your sociopolitical views, but there has been a significant global event over the last couple of years. Uh, how uh, how did that work out? When it first, when everything first started going down, it was really a challenge for us because we had plans for the year. And Mm -hmm. just like anybody else, everything was unknown. Mm -hmm. When everything started shutting down, we were actually supposed to be at a RV or entrepreneur conference. And that got canceled. Some people still showed up at the campground. And from there, we were going to be traveling. But we did not know based on announcements that were being made, you know, was National Forest Land going to be shut down? Was BLM Land? Because recreation places all across the country mm-hmm. were, were being shut down. Yeah. So we were right. in a state campground in Alabama. We stayed there for a month just because we're trying to wait out, see what was going on. And then as things still got a little tighter, we're yeah, like... because they were kind of threatening or I guess thought it was going to be closing down correct. at some point. So we're like, we have to move on. And there were other campgrounds that we were trying to get reservations at and they were like we don't want you like yeah. <laughs> don't come so <laughs> that was that was hard too we to to try to find one and and we did in Arkansas yep. we found one where we were able to stay for another month and it was kind of just a a week by week month by yep. month like when can we kind of get out and travel again but, but on the <laughs> on the flip side, traveling through the pandemic was actually very interesting because you really got a gauge on how every community treated it differently. Yeah, some states didn't know it existed. Yeah, we, <laughs> pretty much. We were we were in some places that that you walked in and it's like, wow, I'm. It's almost like it doesn't exist here. Mm-hmm. And then you'd walk mm-hmm. into other places where. It was every possible measure was being taken was was being taken care of. What's the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, and know. most mostly in cities, and we tended to stick yeah. to the rural stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sure. that was difficult. <laughs> 
So you mentioned before, like, when you were in Florida, if you needed to make a video, you would just, like, shut the door or whatever. So, mm-hmm. obviously, you have, like, the YouTube channel for the Open Roading YouTube channel. But, like, I guess I'll, I'll open the doors a little bit because you mentioned that you have a business that doesn't keep you tied to one location or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for anybody who's listening to this is like, this sounds kind of interesting, but how do I handle work? Like, what do you do? <laughs> it's still a struggle, but... I think the biggest <laughs> my, mindset shift that I had to have was – actually, we both had to have – is this is not a perpetual vacation. <laughs> this is a lifestyle. Oh, and sure. so because it's a lifestyle, we need to have specific days that we work, specific days that we travel, and specific days that we go out and see something. And we try – as much as we can to only travel on like Sunday and I think Thursday are our main travel days and then work, you know, the rest of the week. So it's kind of, we try to have a schedule as much as possible. Obviously it doesn't always work out. And sometimes the campground reservation ends on Friday and we have to move on Friday. So, but for the most part, uh, we try to make it as normal as possible because if we don't get work done, we can't continue traveling. Sure. And on the flip side, if you're never taking those days off beyond the travel and the explore, you get burnt out actually Mm -hmm. because you're working and -hmm. then you think exploring is a day off. Well, it is kind of, but if you're never taking an actual day of rest to just kind of sit back and just enjoy the, the RV or the space you're in, you can get burnt out pretty quickly that way as well Mm -hmm. sure yeah we've definitely had to learn to slow down and actually we're in a period of time where we've been like moving camping spots every single week it's just kind of worked out that way we're like we need to slow down because we (laughs) we do like our our favorite time period is to spend two weeks in one location we feel like that gives us enough time to fully explore it and then also have some down days too yeah Very cool. Uh, You mentioned when you found the RV in the first place, it had things that you didn't even know you wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those being the very large water tank. Mm -hmm. What else do you wish that you had known when you got started that you know now? Both good and bad. That is a great question. Yeah. Well, I wish I had learned that lifestyle versus vacation thing earlier. (laughs) I think for the first year (laughs) that we did not, we treated it as a vacation and that did not work out very well. But in terms (laughs) of the actual like RV, I'm trying to think if they're really happy with it. Or even just like tips and tricks and stuff that you didn't know. Yeah. Well, there's one thing, there's one thing that, um, if I had my wish at the beginning, we would have had a four-wheel drive truck instead of a two-wheel drive oh, truck. Oh, that's a good but one. We've gotten stuck like three different times. <laughs> not with the RV attached. Well, once with the RV attached. But yeah, just, just having that extra bit. But that wasn't so much a thing we didn't know. It was a budget thing. Four-wheel drives are obviously more expensive and we sure. were looking sure. within a specific price yeah. range. But Oh, I just thought of something. So we got so used to boondocking on like free land that by the time we decided to explore the east coast there were like only campgrounds and we weren't able to get reservations and so like something i have learned is if you're going to visit california or the east coast like the outer banks or cape cod or you know one of those touristy places you really have to book almost like a year in advance if not more um and that's something i just got so used to out west because you can literally just say oh i get you want to just like move today and you move to another location and like (laughs) it's no big deal but you definitely have to plan for in advance there's there's a campground we're trying to get into one of the things we're trying to do is see all the national parks and so there's the dry tortugas national park which is off key west And there's a campground in the Keys Mm. that we're trying to get into, but it has a year reservation system. Wow. Wow. And so for an entire month, every morning you get on and one... The next day is available. Yeah. And so we would get on. At like 5 (laughs) a.m. And and two seconds, (laughs) I I kid you not, two seconds after you got on, they were all gone. Yeah. All the sites. And we never, we we still haven't gotten it. Now we're on a text, we're on a text thing that will text us when there's a cancellation. And every time the text comes through, we try to get it and it's gone. So too many other people have the same text service, I guess. (laughs) That makes me feel a lot better about us uh, reserving our tent camping site uh, six months in advance. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably smart. We're going to be in your neck of the woods uh, 
next year already. We know this already because Kalen actually just booked a campground for Cape Cod. 18 months in advance. Right. 14 months in advance. Well, I'll drive all the way to Cape Cod if you want. <laughs> so you're going to be there in the in the fall, huh? That's a good in time September. to be there. Yeah, in September of 2023. That's yeah. my birthday so we're month. making next year's plans Happy already. birthday to me. <laughs> all right, yes. We will you hang out in September of 2023. I know, we do. We do. It, it, all he has to do is drive all the way up from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, so... This is a board game podcast. Joe, this is your opportunity to make every board gamer listening to this cringe because I know the answer to the question. <laughs> How did you preserve what board games you preserved to bring with you in the RV? <laughs> well, what's funny is my amount of board games that I have in the RV has actually shrunk even more since with the pandemic and everything. I was like, you know what? I'm hauling extra weight around. Mm -hmm. So now I have one, two, three, four, five. I have seven board games in here. Um, but yeah, I took uh, scissors and knives to several of my games like uh, Splendor. I don't know if you know how big that box is, but that box is now oh yeah, <laughs> about size. yay big. It's a it's a cube. Yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a card um, box. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I did that to five, six, five or six of my games where I just hacked them to pieces, and I didn't hack the actual games to pieces, but just the just the boxes because mm. yeah. Needless amounts but of space. It can be That's done. one thing in an RV. Space is at a premium. Yep. Every yeah. cubic inch is accounted <laughs> yes. for. Yes. yes. Okay. And my only other board game question, I promise. Kaylin, what is your favorite board game? <laughs> I don't know if it's technically a board game because it's a card game. Does that, that still count? That, still that counts. counts. That counts. That counts. Okay. So I really have enjoyed Sky Joe. I don't know if you've heard of it. You can get mm -hmm. it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. yep. Actually, they might even have it at Target. And so during the pandemic, we actually played that so many times the cards are basically falling apart yep so that is the, that is Sign the one i game. will play <laughs> yeah. hey hey it's, it's all it's all good and our official review is they have a, a sky joe action action card game as well which is supposed to make it more complicated and more gamery and both of our opinions is that the original is far superior mm -hmm. to the sky joe action mm -hmm. okay that's fine it's all good. I appreciate that recommendation. <laughs> um, all right. So I have, this is a very important question. One place on each coast that is your favorite and one place on each coast that you want to see that you haven't seen yet. Do you mean, uh, so not in the Midwest, like East and West edges? I, I mean, Sorry, I'm, I'm defining I just don't want here. you to pick <laughs> a bunch of stuff. I just don't want you to pick a bunch of stuff in California that I can never see. Split the country down the middle. Yeah. Split yeah. the country down gotcha. the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So, I guess I, I guess this is more on the East Coast. I feel like Pictured Rocks National Seashore in Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Absolutely gorgeous. I think it should be a national park. Um, would love to go back again. Well, while we're on the East Coast, I'll stick. I'll go with Cumberland Island, which is a place we actually explored before RV life yeah. off of the coast of Georgia. Yep. And we haven't seen, let's see, on the East Coast, we haven't done Cape Cod. So that's what we wanted to yep. see that. And, and the I would say Dry Tortugas. Yes, that one too. And then on the West Coast, Channel Islands has become one of my favorites. That's off the coast of California. And mm. I had never okay. heard of that national park. I didn't even know it, what it was or existed. And it's just absolutely gorgeous out there in the Pacific Ocean. What would yours be? <laughs> I'm going to do a cop-out and say the state of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> like the, in, All right. It's got the mighty five national parks that are there. Um, if you like hiking, if you like ATVing, if you like paddleboarding, if you like skiing, whatever you want. It's yeah, in outdoor that mecca. And I'd say the one that we want to see, or at least I want to see, is Olympic National Park in Washington because it has hmm. like four different features, like a rainforest and then the coast, and it just sounds really beautiful. Yeah, I'll copycat you on that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. The Channel Islands, was that where you had to like lock your food in a box because there were animals that yes. were like just... I watched yeah. that video. It was hysterical. <laughs> 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 yeah, the foxes are so cute, but they that one you saw was trying to take the backpack off the picnic table. They are just very mischievous. Wow. Yeah, they, there was no shame. I mean, even even better than a Massachusetts seagull. 
those uh, those little foxes. <laughs> they'll so. go. They'll go, and you're supposed to zip up your tent because they'll go in your tents and just scrounge around. They're basically raccoons, but cuter. Yeah. <laughs> so you've kind of alluded to this already, but is this going to be a permanent lifestyle? You're going to just keep RVing around the country forever. We ask ourselves that question every year. I know. Yeah, every year we kind of reassess and like, are we wanting to do this? And so far we don't see an end in sight yet. But even if we do eventually buy a house, settle down, as they call it, um, I think travel will still be a huge part of our lifestyle. And I think if we have the RV, we'll take it for a weekend or a month or two and maybe even do international travel. I was going to say, it's one of those things where if money were no object and whatever, you know, we won the lottery, I think it'd be great to buy a house and have a home base and have a place to kind of, you know, sure. go back and you have your doctors and you have a co- kind of a community there. But at the same time, be able to travel from and be like, okay, we're going to be gone for the next three months because mm-hmm. we're going to be going, taking the RV. I don't mm-hmm. see us changing our method of travel domestically, uh, mm-hmm. being able to sure. have your sure. house sure. with you wherever you go is phenomenal. We're a little spoiled because when we have to pack to like fly to go visit my parents, it's not fun. <laughs> I just want to take everything. <laughs> and people don't people don't understand like when we stop when we go visit her parents, we park the RV in their driveway basically, and they're like, "Oh, it must be nice." You go in and you know live in their house. They're like, "No, we live in the RV in their driveway." Yeah, I so want much, my own bed. So much. <laughs> That's home. Yeah, because it's home. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that actually. You know, that actually leads to kind of a, I guess, my last question. I mean, really, really, this is something where, like, I can only imagine doing what you guys are doing, right? But you you kind of mentioned, like, the money the money thing. Uh, obviously, like, having a house and having an RV and all that stuff, you know, that that is a significant, mm-hmm. like, expense. But if you compare the two, living in a house and doing all the house stuff and all the expenses that are come along with a house versus traveling the country in an RV, like... Is there a significant difference in price? Like, is it real? Is it a lot more expensive to travel when you don't have all of those trappings and all of that stuff? So I would have said they're very comparable when we first started out in 2019. Like we exchanged a mortgage for campgrounds and like it was, it was mm-hmm. very comparable. But now it's definitely a lot more expensive with the gas prices. We are spending over a thousand a month in gas. And that's just <laughs> sure some people can't like even imagine that. But that's one of our major expenses. So it's a little bit more expensive, I but would say. I was gonna say, but at the same time, if you were buying a house right now, houses housing costs are so that's expensive true. at the moment as well. That would in also most be places. incredibly yes, expensive. Yeah. yeah. They're they're very I would say they're very comparable. The one thing with an RV, especially if you're set up like we are with solar panels and whatnot so that you can boondock, you can control your expenses a little more. Like if mm-hmm. if we were super tight financially, we could go somewhere and be like, okay, we're just not driving for this month and we're going to save a bunch of money in gas that we would be spending otherwise. Whereas if it's a mortgage, you can't be like, well, we're just not going to pay our mortgage this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You do. <laughs> well, you yeah. could. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that, that's just really cool. You know, I mean, that, I think that's that perspective is a really eye-opening one. Like, I don't think we're selling the house, honey. Don't worry. Uh, no, no. But I think it's a really <laughs> eye-opening perspective to say, like, if you're prepared to make this shift, obviously there's cost to convert, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But once you get past that, like, it's a comparable, financially a comparable lifestyle if you have the kind of career that allows you to do that. Like, I, I'm a software developer. Yeah. I don't need to be in my house. You know what I mean? I could travel, in mm-hmm. fact. But you do need to be somewhere without children all around you all day, well, which is I, why our thing would not That's true. That's true. That's true. But, like, we, I actually work with some people that are full-time RVers that use, like, Starlink because Starlink has an mm-hmm. RV product now. Um, which is is really cool, and it's it's really neat to kind of hear yeah. about and stuff like that. I suggest van life for you guys, getting the smallest amount of space. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, with kids. definitely, like, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fantastic. No, <laughs> I almost I almost went crazy during the pandemic in our big house because I couldn't get away from my children. So I, I, I love them dearly, but I need time not with them. Yeah, need space. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Joe and Kaylin, thank you so much for coming on and, and 
kind of talking about open roading and what the RV lifestyle is like. Obviously, you share a ton of this stuff online, and I kind of live vicariously through you. Like, it's something that, like, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever commit to it. I mean, I'm a big community person, so, like, Joe, I really, like, I hear what you're saying. So that's a big thing for me. But, I mean, it sure does have that romantic pull. It's like Bali High, right? It's just it's just pulling at you, you know? Uh, so I very much understand that. But uh, where can people see all this cool, amazing stuff uh, digitally that you get to see in person? Yeah, we have the YouTube channel that you had referenced before. So that's at Open Roading. And then it's the same username at Open Roading on Instagram. And we post there practically every day. <laughs> we post on YouTube about once a week. So definitely putting out a bunch of content. The Instagram is more real time. We generally are posting where we're at. And the YouTube stuff is, yeah, it depends, two, three weeks behind sometimes mm-hmm. as far as... It takes a while to edit a video together. Yeah, well, you d- you really do a good job stitching them get together and making them actually pleasant to watch and not just, you know, somebody running <laughs> through the woods with a handicam or something like that. Somebody's so. random travelogue, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the modern equivalent of the, the 80s slideshow. <laughs> click, click. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we yes, strive to yeah, not it's, it's, be just two talking heads in front of their RV. We, <laughs> we want to make it an entertaining... We see it as episodes. We're trying to make entertaining episodes yeah. for people to watch. Yeah, we, we need more tragedy, though. Like, not, like, really bad stuff, but, like, <laughs> more getting stuck in the I, mud. I think, I think Andrew is thinking of, of the videos we've seen where we laugh, and then we immediately feel bad, and then we laugh some more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, when you got stuck on the on the beach with the tide coming in. Yeah, That was amazing. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Like, I feel terrible for you, but also it's kind of funny and a good lesson in uh, researching your campground. <laughs> yeah, yes. and on Instagram, a lot of other people like it as well. It's got, I think, over 100,000 views <laughs> at this point. So. Everything is content. Everything is content. Oh, hey, listen, I, I'm glad that you share that stuff too. It's not just, you know, the world. Through it's not just glasses. this was so pretty and this was so pretty yeah. too and this was pretty and isn't this awesome? And by the way, we had to pay a, t- a truck to tow us out of, yeah. out of the mud. <laughs> yeah. And worried about possibly floating away. All right. <laughs> okay, well, so you can find them on at Open Roading pretty much everywhere. Anitra, where can you find us pretty uh, much everywhere? Well, on all the social media, you can find us at Family Gamers AA. That's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and every once in a while on TikTok. Um, you can <laughs> see our reviews on YouTube at The Family Gamers. Also, you can email us. You can always email me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise, t-shirts and hoodies, mugs and stuff like that. We should send some to them so they can put them on their oh, YouTube channel. Oh, maybe. And some cross-marketing. We have nowhere to put them. But you them. get your own. I mean, we would love them, but we have nowhere to put them. <laughs> Uh, but you can get all that stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, and leave us a review on whatever your podcast catcher source is. <laughs> the Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points and maybe save for an RV. Uh, maybe. <laughs> So that's pretty much it for us this week. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. It has been super fun, and I'm secretly, not so secretly jealous of the fun times that you guys get to have. But for everybody else, until next week, play games with your kids. kids.